As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Two Stars, the Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic. Every week we break down all the big stories concerning the two-time European champions in the company of The Athletic's Forest Folk. On this episode we'll meet our newest panellist who will help us reflect on Wednesday's win win against Coventry. We'll also look ahead to the visit of Wickham to the city ground this coming Saturday and in the first of a new feature ask, did he really play for Forest? Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic app. This is Two Stars. Yes, welcome along, listener. Thanks so much for hitting the download button on this newest of Forest podcasts. We're grateful for your support as we continue to find our feet. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, a podcaster, a commentator and a lifelong Forest fan. With me today, The Athletic's two men in the know when it comes to all things Garibaldi. That applies to both the shirt colour and the oft-out-of-favour biscuit. Uh, Nick Miller's taking time off from his well-earned vacation to join us. Hello and thank you, Nick. I mean, I'd slightly dispute the well-earned part, but yeah, I'm, I'm joining you from holiday. <laughs> holiday being your house, presumably. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. It's 2020, uh, and fit to make his first start for the pod, it's the Athletics Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. Welcome, Paul. Good to be here, guys, finally. <laughs> Good to have you. Uh, we'll find out more about Paul soon, but for no particular reason, a quiz question to warm us up. In honour of Paul's brother Lyle and his cooler than the other side of the pillow penalty <laughs> technique, I want to know, according to the stats website Transfermarkt, what percentage of the 70 penalties Forrest have taken in their championship history have been scored? Nearest wins. Uh, Nick, you can guess first. Percent- you want a percentage? I want a percentage uh... of those 70 penalties that have been successfully <laughs> converted. Um, well, it's, uh, I'm going to go high 60, 68. Okay, Paul, any advance on 68? Yeah, I think it's a bit higher than that, even despite Lewis Graben's best efforts. <laughs> uh, let's go for 82. Oh, Nick takes the imaginary point. It's 71.4%. Oh. Uh, that's 50 of the 70 successfully converted. Uh, bonus non-existent point. Paul, can you, can you guess <laughs> the only player to have taken more than three and have a 100% record? This is an extremely difficult question. Oh, Jesus. Well, I know it's not Lewis Graben. Uh, Certainly not. Let's go, let, let's go for something random and say Andy Reid. 
Nick, any advance on Andy Reid? Yeah, Andy Reid's a good show. I was Marlon Howard was the one that sprung sprung to mind for some reason. He he took a good penalty to Marlon, so I'm going to go with him. It was Lewis McGugan scored Ooh. all seven of his. Yeah, uh, Lewis Graben failed to score with uh, most of his. Essentially, Chris Commons <laughs> missed his only one. By the way, thought I'd throw that one in. Um, right before we talk Coventry, Paul, as it's your first show, tell us a little bit about how you came to cover Forest and some of your. Your early and best memories in your time um, looking after Nottingham Forest for the Evening Post and for now the Athletic. Well, it's it's the world's worst kept secret. I actually grew up as a Notts County fan, and I was covering Notts County for many years uh, at, at the Nottingham Post. And uh, they kept telling me that I they kept offering me the Forest job and saying you've got to cover Forest, you've got to cover Forest. And I kept saying, well, no, I don't really want to. Uh, uh, and then finally, they just told me I was doing it. Uh, and uh, it, it was it was probably well it was definitely a very good thing in the end I, I, I perhaps took a bit of encouragement but but it was probably the best step I've ever made it was uh, very good for my career and it's strange because even despite my Notts County roots you after so long covering a club you can't help but kind of support them and you, you want them to do well because you get to know the people involved and uh, you know the people surrounding the club and there's a human element to it that people perhaps don't appreciate from from the outside you get to know managers you get to know players and, and you want to see them succeed and it might have taken a little while if I'm honest but but after after a year or two you, I, I found myself supporting Forest so I'm probably one of the only people in Nottingham these days that supports Notts County and Nottingham Forest uh, <laughs> just don't tell any of my Notts County supporting friends that but then again they won't be listening to this because it's a Forest podcast so I'm probably all right. <laughs> Can you uh, remember the first game that you covered for the post for Forest? For Forest, it, it was actually bizarrely it was years and years before uh it was one of the first games i ever covered for the post full stop we, we used to do the football post uh and, and i got drafted in to go and do the live runner of, of forest versus liverpool it was one of the first games i'd ever done and uh, i went with ian edwards who was our forest writer at the time and he, he got to put his feet up for the afternoon and, and i did the football post runner where in the old days you had to actually do it over a landline and ring over your copy as the game went on which was an interesting experience and uh, i think it was a 1-1 draw you know, I got a lot of stick then from my Notts County supporting mates who were going and covering Forest before I'd covered Notts. But still, that was the way the cookie crumbled and uh, I've not really looked back since. I was at, at the post for 25 years, which is uh, a long time. I, I was very young when I started. I was only 11, so, you know. Uh, <laughs> 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 but, 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 yeah, my funny... Uh, when, when I did eventually start covering Forest, it was under Gary Megson and uh, that, that was an interesting ride as well. It's the only time I've actually ever been properly banned. I know Billy Davis, we had our... Our, uh, our ups and downs with him but I, I got banned over a headline uh, by, by Gary Megson but my first experience of him was was joyous uh, he was actually very kind and uh, after the first press conference we had he, he told me to stop behind the the, the the forest press officer ushered me into the changing rooms at the city ground uh, and, and, and Gary decided he was going to give me an exclusive about who who they were going to sign next the only problem was was that he, he gave me this story at a time when he was toweling himself dry about two foot away from my face which was which was which was lovely uh getting to know your manager intimately on in that way was 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 a complete joy and that that was my introduction to life at nottingham forest seeing gary megson toweling himself uh dry whilst whilst trying to do me a favor i, I wasn't sure whether to be happy or or emotionally wrecked <laughs> There you go, listen, you think football reporters have the best job in the world. It's not all uh, rainbows and sunshine. Um, Nick, <laughs> you, you, Nick, you and I had uh, had Forrest foisted upon us by by families. Paul's had it by work. But whatever way you come to the club, you know, once, you, once you're in it, you're in it. Unfortunately, I've never been um, intimately toweled down in front of by, uh, you know, by a Forest manager. So Paul's <laughs> got the one up on both of us there, Matt. 
I mean, I mean, I mean, actually, I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's never happened to you either. But if you're now going to tell us that you know Philippe Montagnier once um, <laughs> you know dabbed himself dry whilst uh, uh, spinning you a yarn, then yeah, go for it. No, he didn't. I mean, all I can think about is Gary Mason trying himself off now. I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been joking here, I suppose. But um, let's move on from that unpleasantness anyway and talk about Wednesday night. Just hours before the nation got locked down in their abodes, Forrest actually enjoyed being at their home for once. The Reds earning a 2-1 win against Coventry at the world-famous City Ground. Scott McKenna put Forrest ahead on the half hour, only for Callum O'Hare to equalise just before the hour. Lyle Taylor saving the day on 90 plus 7, converting from the spot after he was upended to earn the Reds just a second victory this season and a first home win in eight attempts. Uh, Paul, you were at the city ground for the Athletic. Mm. Uh, let's start with, with the team Chris Hewton picked. Four changes from the defeat at Borough. A start for Yuri Ribeiro, probably the most eye-catching. Um, how, yeah. how did he do and, and, and what did you make of the lineup and the formation? He was pretty good, you know. He 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 added a bit of attacking threat down the left side, which we 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 all know he can deliver. We saw him do it last season, and and the team itself, the team showed a lot of intent. He, he probably Chris Hutton, he probably picked his uh, three most creative players just behind Lyle Taylor in Anthony Knockhart, Joe Lolly, uh, and, and Freeman. Admittedly, in in the first half, they they played pretty well. They they they, they were okay. They, they didn't create endless chances, but they were probably well. They were definitely the better team. But then. In the second half, they rode their luck something rotten. How the, how they won the game, I'm I'm still not entirely sure now. But you know, what they did do for the first time is perhaps make the most of the chances they created. They've created quite a few chances in recent weeks and never scored more than one goal. Whereas you know, last night they made the most of the meagre chances they had in the second half. You know, with with Lyle Taylor and, and blimey, I, I hate run ups like that. And, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but when players run up for a penalty like that or don't run, just sort of casually stroll towards the ball. It fills me with dread, but uh, fair play to him. He knew what he was doing. He put it away, showed balls of steel and, and got Forrest three points that they probably didn't deserve. But heck, you know, there's been other games where they have deserved it and not got it. So, you know, maybe maybe they would do a bit of luck. Nick, were you pleased to see Ribeiro back? It's been a bit of a sore point amongst supporters, hasn't it, that he's, he's not been involved yet? Yeah, it's been the subject of sort of rampant conspiracy theories throughout the you know um, th- throughout the Forest fan base, which there are always going to be those kind of things. Uh, I think, but yeah, I, I think I think we can possibly put to bed the the idea that um, you know Hewton has been banned from picking Ribeiro for for shadowy reasons to do with things that we we'll probably get into legal trouble if we mention here. Um, but yeah, I mean. We were talking just before. Um, I'm, I'm kind of stealing a point that Paul made just before we started recording here that um, Ribeiro might well be used as a sort of more attacking fullback, and then you know the oft-forgotten Guyton Bong, um, the resurrected Guyton Bong, will pe- perhaps be a more kind of solid defensive uh, fullback to be used in away games like like Middlesbrough, which I you know su- as alarmed and surprised as I was to see him in the first place, I thought he played pretty well in that game. Uh, what do you think, Nick, about the, the Lyle Taylor penalty technique? It, it worries Paul. I think it's sort of genius because he scores. What's your take? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously it's one of those things, if you score, then it looks genius. But I, I, I quite, I sort of quite like it as a sort of alpha move. He's kind of just strolling up and going, I don't need to take a big run up to score past you. 
um, which of course makes you look e- doubly stupid if you miss. But Paul, I, I was wondering from the um, from the uh, you know highlights and the, the TV camera, um, mm. it was a bit difficult to see. So Taylor scored and then really seemed to give it the big one to the goalkeeper afterwards. Um, but it, but it was a bit difficult to see why that was. Was was there just some kind of pre penalty goading, or was there some pre uh, pre penalty beef between the two? Do you know what? There was a small amount of. I think they had a conversation before before the penalty was taken. It, it didn't look like there was any great beef there. But I mean, you know, you never know what the keeper said to him. Maybe maybe he really tried to rattle him and said something really nasty. I don't know. But he he probably had the the last laugh. Gotta sound like Alan Partridge. Needless <laughs> to say, I had the last laugh. Uh, um, yeah. It's quite. I, I, I've always quite liked for Forest players who do that kind of thing because we obviously have this reputation as being a very nice club and you know the mm. club, the club that everyone wants to see do well and you know I've always like oh yeah for you're a Forest supporter I've always liked them and they play really nice football don't they what a lovely little you know inoffensive club in the Midlands so. Yes. It's quite nice to have a bastard in the team, and yes. Taylor certainly has that. Seems to have that sort of edge to him, anyway. They, they haven't had a shit house for a while, have they? And you know, they they they, they probably do one. Uh, you know, Paul McKenna used to provide that a little bit without without being overtly nasty. He was he was tough for a guy that's about five foot four. Uh, and and since then, they've not really had anybody that gets in people's faces and and roughs people up. But you get the impression that. Lyle Taylor might be that guy, you know, he, he he certainly never stops running and he likes to get in people's faces and close them down and, you know, perhaps leave a little bit of a foot in every now and then. So, you know, if you were a defender, you wouldn't fancy playing against him, that's for sure. Uh, let's get to some questions from listeners that have come in via Twitter. If you want to submit one, you can tweet me at Matt Davis Adams at your convenience. Uh, here's one from Tom who asks, is a lack of real pace from our attacking assets a problem? Bar possibly Alex Mighton, there isn't anyone who stands out to have any genuine pace going forward. With nobody able to run in behind with pace and cause some chaos, most of our build-up is laboured and sideways. Ollie chipped in on that saying, Knockart, Lully and Freeman, for all their attributes, basically the same player need pace and directness from Mighton. Um, Nick, Mighton, we see Alex soon. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I, I saw I saw those questions. I, I disagreed slightly with the idea. Well, I sort of agreed with the premise, but sort of disagreed slightly with some of the specifics, if you'll allow me to discuss this tweet, um, you know, <laughs> just really dissect it. Um, so, yes, I, I think kind of, Slow build-up play has been a problem, particularly under uh, under Lamucci. But I, I don't think the the players that they mentioned are, are uh, you know ludicrously slow. Joe Lolly's not very quick, but Knockart's very nippy, and I think Amiobi looks because of his sort of um, he obviously got a fairly loping running style. He probably doesn't look quite as quick as he actually is. Um, and again, on on the idea that um, that Knockart, Lolly, and Freeman are basically the same player. Again, I think that's sort of true, but also um, they they have uh, I think they have enough dif- differences to sort of theoretically work in the same team. The 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 thing that is perhaps a problem is I think with something we mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago in that they uh, Knockhart and Lolly certainly do their best stuff from the same position, just on the right, cutting into the left foot. But I think Lolly's uh, sorry Knockhart is more subtle than than Lolly, and I, I mean. At the moment, it's a little bit difficult to tell 
what sort of player Freeman will be for us because he hasn't. He's we only a few games into the season and he hasn't played enormously well. I mean, Paul will be able to um, judge this better than me because he's seen more of more and from close quarters. But he hasn't really seemed to do what we were promised that he would do yet, and he, he hasn't seemed to be quite on it just yet. Yeah, that leads us on to the next question, Paul. It comes from Reese. He says, I think Freeman could be our best player, but he's shown little other than a 30-yard worldie on his wrong foot this season. What's the issue mm-hmm. here? Formation not suit him, or is it a fitness mentality thing? I think it's easy to read too much into things when a player's just come to a new club and is playing regular football for the first time. He, he, you know, he didn't he didn't play much at all last season. I don't think you need to go much beyond the fact that he's he's probably just a little bit rusty. He's finding his feet at a new club under a new manager, a new way of playing with new players around him. Uh, I, I wouldn't get overly concerned, to be honest. I don't think Knockhart's done a great deal yet either. Uh, they're, they're two players that, if you want to look at it from a cup half full kind of point of view, that you get the sense there's far, far more to come from both of them. And they're, they're clearly players with proven quality, particularly at this level. And I'm not overly concerned personally. I I think their their form will come. Their their quality will start to shine through. I, I think we just need to give them a bit of time. The fact that they keep because of the compact nature of the season, the fact there's a game every few days. Chris Hutton understandably does change the team quite a lot. So I don't think they've had consistency around them in terms of having the same people around them in the team. I think if they've got a run of games, perhaps with all three of them playing, like we saw last night, it might make a difference. They're probably the best three attacking players. Um, Sami Amiobi could be brilliant coming off the bench as a kind of impact sub, if you like. He, he, he's With his pace and trickery, he can cause people no end of problems when perhaps defences are tiring. So I, I wonder if you gave those three a run of games, if we'd, if we'd really start to see the best of them. And I think Joe Lolly is a bit different. I think he's somebody that perhaps... I know Knockhart likes to run with the ball. Freeman, not so much. But Lolly's, Lolly's probably the one that's a bit more the one that creates can create something out of nothing on his own. We've, we've seen him do it time and again when he gets on the ball, running at people and just creating room for that uh, shot, cutting him from the flank and having a go. And I'd like to see more from him as well because I don't think he's quite hit his peak. So there's reasons to be positive. Once once they find their feet, once they find the consistency, I think we'll start to see a lot more from all three of them. And I, without going over the top, I think you'd struggle to find too many teams with a better attacking trio uh, or even an attacking quartet, if you include Taylor and Graben. I, I don't think there's many in the Championship that have got a better uh, creative attack in Arsenal than, than Forrest have now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Nick, on, on Mighton, is he one of these players who gets better and better the more he doesn't actually play? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, from from the, the little that I've seen of him so far, he does seem like uh, he's one of those very promising but still quite raw players. His touch doesn't seem to be quite there yet. Um, he's obviously incredibly quick and he's the sort of player that you, um, as a sort of... I don't know, minor version of what Paul was just talking about there with Amiobi is the sort of player that you you throw on in the last 10 minutes of a game to either, you know, press and harass the defence or try and get behind the defence or, or something along, along those lines if you need something different right at the end. But, you know, I, I'm sure this is true of most clubs, but, um, but Forrest 
fans are very very keen to get when when they hear of a promising young player very keen to get them in the team as quickly as possible unless it's Ryan I mean, Yates <laughs> well yeah. yeah yeah I mean we, we spoke about um the some Forest fans beef with Ryan Yates on the th- first episode I think but you're you're very much on the front line of that uh, particular battle yeah, I feel a bit sorry for him. I, I, I think he's just a. There's so much, so often players get judged for not for what they are, but for not being something else. And he isn't somebody that's going to go and beat three players and stick it in the top corner. But what he is is a honest, hardworking, and everyone seems to think hardworking is some sort of swear word, but it really isn't. You need somebody with that industry and toil. You need a, a soldier to go with your artists, and and he he really is that. And. He's been so close to getting a few more goals this season as well. He's he's probably the one deeper lying midfielder that's got that bit of knack and nous to to make late runs into the box and get himself chances. And I'm convinced it's only a matter of time before he sticks a few of them away. And he was probably a little bit unlucky to be left out last night, if I'm honest. But uh, you know, I'm sure his his time will come. He's clearly what 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 strikes me is that every single manager that that he plays under really really likes him. They they value him for what he brings to the table. Uh, it's just a bit of a shame that not every fan seems to to feel the same way. He's he's he's, he's not Jan Carvalho. Paul, before we leave the Coventry game, what what, what did Chris Hutton have to say afterwards? I think he he kind of conceded that there was an element of fortune about the victory. I think hmm. he he reiterated the same message that he said before the game about attacking threat and wanting to uh, see Forest create more chances. The, the one change that's fairly obvious. Uh, and admittedly, I don't know how much possession they actually had last night, but in, in most of the games prior to last night, they, uh, they, they've had far more possession than they did under Sabri Lamucci when he was happy to kind of concede possession and, and Forrest would often win games with 35-40% possession in games, whereas Forrest now under Hewton do have a lot more of the ball. They, they quite often have more of the ball than the opposition and what Hewton wants to see is them making more of that, uh, you know, make more of your possession, make more of your dominance, make more uh, chances and, and and good opportunities. They're just missing that final killer ball at the minute, that last cross, that last uh, decisive pass. But, but you know, without repeating my point too much, I think that'll come when the likes of Knockhart, Freeman and, and Lolly get into their stride. I, I, th- I think Forrest will only get better with time and I'd still be looking upwards rather than de- over my shoulder at the minute. Uh, listener, if you want to get more of Paul's opinions on Forest, uh, go to theathletic.com slash forestpod. If you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now for just a pound a week. Uh, well, as is customary this season, not long to wait for the Reds' next assignment. We'll pull up a seat with the chair boys after this. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
So up next for Forest, the visit of Wickham Wanderers to the city ground this Saturday. Uh, after a rotten start to their first ever season as a championship side, Gareth Ainsworth's men picked up a bit of momentum. They drew with Watford, they beat Sheffield Wednesday, and then on Wednesday night, like Forest, earned three points courtesy of a stoppage time goal as they won 2-1 at Birmingham. Uh, Saturday's game will be the first ever league meeting between the clubs. They have faced off a couple of times in the League Cup. Most recently, 2011, Forrest won 4-1 at Adams Park, thanks to goals from Ishmael Miller, Lewis McGugan, Radimievski and Robbie Finlay. Uh, Nick, surely Forrest ought to be winning this, I wrote on Wednesday morning. Uh, it doesn't feel quite so straightforward now. Yeah, it's quite upsetting that they seem to have discovered their form just um, just as they in the run-up to playing Forrest. Yeah, I mean... Uh, the... In the um, after the Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough game in particular, there seemed to seem to be a lot of sort of doom and gloom about um, you know we're going to have to just face up to the fact that we're in a relegation battle now and we should be looking over our shoulders again at uh, teams like you know Wickham and um, who's that team's second bottom of the, oh Derby <laughs> County all right um, um, so in in that view then you know this could be seen as a particularly big game but like you say theoretically this Forest team even though finding feet under Hewton and kind of not playing spectacular football so far we should I would imagine beat Wickham I'm kind of I'm pausing so much there because I've I'm, I'm aware of the sort of massive fog of tempting fate cloud that's you know, forming in front of me but Yes, theoretically, it should be a, a win for Forrest, but you know, we all know that theories don't really fly at the city ground very much. Uh, just to expand on something that Nick mentioned there, were it not for Sheffield Wednesday's 12-point deduction, Derby County would be bottom of the championship table. Um, Paul, I feel like there's a danger this might not be a classic. Wickham usually quite a defensive side anyway. It might take a while for Forrest to break them down. Yeah, they'll, they'll come to the city ground to be organised and... and disciplined and and won't want to give Forrest a lot of opportunities they're they're the kind of side that Forrest traditionally have have struggled against if we're honest the the teams that come to the city ground and shut up shop and and just say right come and break us down if you can and they're going to be have to be at their creative best to to try and find a chink in their armour if you like and what what worries me as well is they've just signed Gareth McCleary haven't they which which is is never a good thing uh I'm not sure how fit he'll be or whether he'll be fit to start, but you could just see him coming off the bench with a point to prove, couldn't you? He always seems to do well against Forrest ever since he's left. So uh, I saw that the other day and sort of gulped with a bit of dread because uh, you, you can imagine him having a part to play for uh, for a team like Wickham. But, you know, Forrest have proved they can score two goals in a game now. So that's that's one positive, you know. Um, you, you don't see the opposition score and, and, and hopefully feel a sense of dread anymore, uh, knowing that the points the most that Forrest are going to get. You you hope that now they've put that one to bed a little bit, they can, heck, you know, maybe, maybe they could go and score three goals. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, let, let's not let's not get carried away, but, you know. Steady on, Paul, come on. Let's not get giddy. I've taken an optimism pill this morning, haven't I? I don't know where it's come from. <laughs> Just on a, a brief tangent, the uh, Gareth McClary-related tangent, they, um, I think it was because... Uh, it was the last time that Forrest played Coventry in the league. They were showing a goal he scored for Forrest against Coventry. Mm. Must have been 2012 season. I, I think a candidate for the worst sort of length of pitch run for a goal that um, that there's ever been. Because he just... <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you, you see it or people will remember this. He kind of... He, 
tracks back with the left winger, tackles him about sort of maybe 25 yards into the forest half, then turns around and runs into the penalty area f- whilst having no challenges to him at all there were a couple of Coventry players that were actually just sort of jogging alongside him as he sped past them then he scuffs a shot into the bottom corner I mean you know it was it was one of those things that I don't think I was at the game but you can you you would go home and tell people who weren't there about this kind of oh, he's run the length of the pitch and then you watch it backwards and you go Actually, that wasn't very good. That was a that was kind of a that was a very weird goal that the opposition just sort of waved him through for. Anyway, sorry. I, just I'm just watching it now it, on YouTube. It is called Gareth McCleary brilliant goal against Coventry. Um, it's a good goal. I think it's fair yeah. to say it's not helped the YouTube clip by the usual terrible music which has been dubbed over it. But he's certainly celebrating it like it's the world's greatest goal. Uh, bless you, Gareth. Um, speaking of terrible music, Wickham manager Gareth Ainsworth moonlights as a rock star fronting the band Cold Blooded Hearts. Producer Adonis is going to drop a bit of them in now. Crikey. Um, not including the obvious answer of Stuart Pearce, Nick, which Forest manager would make the best front man for a band? Uh, we mentioned, uh, I don't know whether I'm just falling back on lazy national stereotypes here, but we mentioned him earlier. I can see Philip Montagnier as a sort of um, open-necked crooner style, you know, French lounge singer kind of thing. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I, I think it, I think he's got, He's got that. He's, I think he's the sort of person to, um, you know, everyone knows he can sing, but then he, he, he uh, at family gatherings or something, he's kind of reluctantly pushed to, to, you know, do a quick turn on a, you know, some light croon, crooning number. I think, yeah, off, off the top of my head, I think he's, he's probably the one. Paula, I've got Joe ear pegged as the, the front man of a very, very sweary 80s punk band. Can you can you add any further to that? No, forget Joe Kinnear. What about Charlie McParland? He, he'd be literally furious on the stage, shouting into that <laughs> microphone like, like he wanted to kill it. He, he, he's, he's the angriest forest manager I've ever known. He, he, <laughs> he was brilliant. He, he, was, he, he was actually really good. He, they were a little bit unlucky not to get the job on a more permanent basis following the time they had in charge. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, Ian McParland, angry punk band. We, we seem to be on a punk theme with with Stuart Pearce as well, don't we? Is, is there some sort of punk connection with Forest? Do you think? It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Um, I tell you what, just to go off on another tangent, I, I spent some time. With, I went to interview uh, John Robertson, uh, and and he just randomly burst into song in 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 the pub, uh, and he was brilliant. <laughs> he can he can really sing. He he was he was fantastic. So uh, maybe I know he's not a manager, but John Robertson actually could have. He had all the swagger to be a kind of frontman of a band as well, didn't he? Hundred percent, and I'm not surprised to learn that there is nothing that John Robertson can't turn it into. <laughs> um, that Wiccan game, by the way, three o'clock on Saturday. We'll react to it in next week's show. Next up today, sound the new feature klaxon. <laughs> 
Uh, now then, inspired in part by Nick's piece on Guyton Bong, which is up on The Athletic for subscribers to enjoy now, we're going to roll out a new feature called They Played for Forest? Question mark, exclamation mark. It's where we talk about a player who donned the Garibaldi who we'd either forgotten about or tried to forget about. We're going to start the series with Ian Wright. It was his birthday this week, you see. Uh, Wright played 10 games for David Platt's Forest, shudder, uh, between August and October 1999. He scored five goals. Paul, I know this was before your time covering yes. the club, but um, but that, this was one thing that Platt was actually quite good for, wasn't it, in terms of plundering his contacts book. This was the the John Terry, the, the Matthew Upson kind of era. And, and certainly I can remember when Ian Wright signed for Forrest. It, it was a wow moment, even though he, he was at the age that he was at and obviously his best days were behind him. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a headline-making signing, wasn't it? And uh, he did do a good job for Forrest when he was here. He, he, he got a few goals and... Uh, you know, I, th- I think he did become a bit of a bit of a cult hero at the time. I know Forest Forest fans are quite excited to see him rock out in the Gar- Garibaldi red, and uh, he certainly made more of an impact than Andy Cole, who, who <laughs> my, one of my favourite stats in 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 football history is how uh, in one game Lee Camp actually ran further than Andy Cole when, when he played for Forest. Uh, at, at least yeah, Ian Wright put a bit of a shift in. QPR once, not good. Not good. Um, he's actually him right scored half an hour into his debut against QPR. That was that was at the City Ground. Um, I remember being there when he scored against Walsall. Uh, it was really great to see him score in a Forest shirt. I also remember Nick, you and I were talking about when he got sent off against Wolves after a, a running battle with Kevin Muscat, which, as I recall, involved. Uh, Ian Wright looking, uh, getting Kevin Muscat, holding him, looking round at the back of his shirt, looking at the name on it and shaking his head as if to say, nah, never heard of you, mate, which was which was <laughs> almost out of the Lyle Taylor school of, uh, of shithousery. It's the sort of thing that you, uh, that uh, with any other two people involved, you think is a bit of a dick move, but it's <laughs> Ian Wright who, you know, one of the most lovable footballers of all time and Kevin Muscat, who is very much not, so, you know, Let's go. Let, let's uh, you know. Let's file that under not a dick move. Very much behind that kind of thing. In that, I, I was just in a brief bit of um, research on this. I was I looked up the report from that first game, and he scored a goal um, half an hour in or uh, whatever it was because I missed the penalty. And um, it was a, a lovely quote from him where he said. Um, the players were good about it afterwards, but I just hope those two points are not too costly for Forrest at the end of the season. That was very sweet of him, but uh, ultimately those two points were the difference between 14th and 12th place in the championship. So, um, you know, wasn't the most um, wasn't the most costly miss in the world. In his first first game, actually, uh, well, no, I think no, actually in his, his last game, um, he was roundly praised for his performance, even though he didn't score. Another player who was roundly praised for his performance in that team was Gianluca Petracchi. Um, oh, no. Descri- described as uh, having um, a tireless and creative build-up play, um, which, um, you know, when when we when you remember that he was actually the one of the three Italians that lasted the longest, it you know says something about that particular move. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about them at, at some point. Paul, lastly on Ian Wright, you remember him as a player as kind of not everybody's cup of tea. We mentioned that spat with Muscat. You look at him now as a pundit, and you know his presence on Twitter and the sort of things that he promotes. He he just seems like a really really nice, lovely person, and actually a very good pundit as well. 
Yeah, I always think with pundits that the one thing that does my head in is when they just sit there and explain exactly what you've just seen. You know, like, oh, he's, he's just had a shot and it's gone wide or whatever. But I think with people like Wrighty, they, they actually tell you something that you'd not thought of. They, they, they open your mind up to something you've perhaps not considered. And that's what I really like about him, the fact that you almost learn something when you listen to him like he has an inside point of view and gives you the point of view of uh, a former player which is obviously what they're paid to do but it's just a little bit different from the inane kind of piffle that that, that some of them come out with that you know it absolutely does my head in when I'm watching a football match and all, all the co-commentator does is explain to you exactly what you've just seen with your own eyes in the first place so yeah I really like him he's honest he's he's not afraid to voice a strong opinion and uh, he's, he's really good he's, he's, he's brilliant Good stuff. We'll return to this feature as we roll on with the show. So that's just about it for this week, though. Um, Paul, good to get some minutes into your legs slash mouth. What can Athletic yes. subscribers look forward to reading from you in the coming days and weeks? Uh, there's a match piece going live. Uh, well, it will be live by the time this podcast comes out. And then we've got a nice, a really nice piece with Gary Brazil talking about his new role. He's had a bit of a promotion recently. That'll be uh, live next week at some point as well, which will, you know, he, he's the man that's bought in off the top of my head, probably £50 million to the club in terms of the players they've sold in, in, in recent years. And uh, he talks about that and his hopes for the future. So hopefully that'll make a nice piece. Uh, Nick, I'm a fan of Only Fools and Horses and you've been speaking to Uncle Albert. Uh, yeah, I um, interviewed Albert Adoma last week. Um, uh, uh, I suppose I sh- on the Nottingham Forest podcast, I should probably trail it and saying, you know, the exclusive revelations about his horror year at Forest, but we actually didn't really talk about Forest, I'm afraid. It was um, more about his kind of beginnings. Um, he started out in a sort of amateur combinations league in West London. Uh, he got rejected by Harrowborough Reserves when he went for a trial. And then sort of nine, eight or nine years later, he was playing at the World Cup. So it was about his journey um through that time and uh, through to now playing for the club he you know supported as a boy QPR uh, and it while he, he he didn't he was didn't have the the most pleasant time at Forest I think probably fair to say he was quite badly treated by Forest um, it possibly won't surprise anyone to learn that he is I think the loveliest footballer that I've ever spoken to so that is out on the Athletic now. Excellent. Looking forward to getting stuck into that. Remember, listener, if you're not yet a subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com slash forestpod to sign up for just a pound a week. And if you listen to The Athletic's many fine podcasts via the app, you get the ads removed too. Uh, My thanks to Nick and Paul and to producer Adonis, but mainly to you, listener. Remember, tell a forest friend we're here and give us a five-star rating and a nice review if you're listening via Apple Podcasts and you think we're worth it. Until next week, though, it's bye for now.